Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tesuetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmagulu. And today's text, Stargirl, was set in fictional Mika, Arizona. The movie was shot in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is the traditional land of the Pueblo people. Joe? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like we should just apologize to all of the listeners because, oh boy, I really hope they didn't read along or watch along with us this week. Oh, what a dog. Okay, let me tell you why I wanted to do this in the first place. Isn't it just because Disney Plus was like, Brenna, hey, hey, Brenna, Brenna, <laughs> you like garbage. Watch this movie. It was, but the specific kind of garbage that it was it was serving to me was it was telling me this is a jukebox musical and I yes. love jukebox musicals. I think it's a fantastic genre. This, my friend, is not a jukebox musical. There's like four songs in it. That does not a jukebox musical make. Oh, did you not stick around for the post credit scene where we just get a random original song? <laughs> no, I did not. Are you serious? Uh-huh. No, I turned it off the second the credits started to roll. It's so bad. <laughs> oh, I was so excited because I do. I love. So for listeners, if you're not familiar with the term jukebox musical, it's where a musical is constructed out of already existing songs. So like Mamma Mia is an entirely ABBA jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite genres because it embraces the ridiculousness of the musical format anyway right Mm -hmm. so like we're shoehorning this song in because it fits but you're shoehorning in a song you already know and can sing along to it's a joy it's a joy this is not that this is occasionally teenagers break into confusing song (laughs) (laughs) this is we cast a girl from america's got talent and we need to try to make use of her ukulele playing capabilities And of course, because she's a manic pixie dream girl, the boy now sings for reasons. I, mm, (laughs) let's just chalk that up to the two decades between the book and the film. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I guess mm, we'll start by talking about what the book's about. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to bet we could distill this entire episode into about two sentences, but. (laughs) Okay. You go ahead and do the two sentences and then I'll flesh out because I. Joe and I really disagree here. I think that the book is trying and failing. Joe thinks the book just sucks. (laughs) Joe thought the movie was boring. I thought the movie was pointless. I guess it's not really a disagreement, but I I think we are going to have different perspectives on the text. So you give me your two-sentence summary, and then I'm going to tell you what I think is actually interesting about the way the book deals with Manic Pixie Dreamgirls, even if it's not successful. Fair, fair. Okay, so my my distillation of the plot is basically know nothing boy falls in love with manic pixie dream girl and then realizes that conformity is overrated. Okay, but does he? <laughs> <laughs> no, because... because there are no characters in either of these two texts. So here's what I think is actually interesting about the book. So our main character Leo, he has moved to Arizona at the age of twelve, and he's he gets kind of picked on. In the movie, it's very much like he was beat up and then decides to never stand out again. In the film, mm-hmm. it's a much more gradual thing. It's just like he realizes that kind of his desire to express himself is of less value to him than a desire to be left alone by people. 
And so later, as a teenager, a girl moves to town named Stargirl. Well, technically, she's been there all along. It's just that she was homeschooled. She was homeschooled, yes. So she hasn't moved to town. She's been homeschooled this whole time. Also, they both went to a weird archaeology camp, but somehow never met each other. I do not care about any of that (laughs) nonsense. But here's the thing. So she is very clearly one of the most egregious examples of a Manic Pixie Dream Girl we've ever seen on the show. Ever. Ever. She does not have a personality. She lives exclusively to be of service to other people and a particular kind of quirky, fun, find the joy and the magic of life service to people around her. She doesn't get to be her own person at all. Mm -mm. She wears ridiculous clothes and she sings to people and she leaves secret gifts behind on people's porches. And She has a rat. She has a rat. She has a rat that she brings to school. I'm sorry, guess what? I've been to a public school. You cannot bring (laughs) pets into the classroom unless they are a service animal. Yeah, no, you can't bring Cinnamon the rat into school, but she does. Because she's kooky. But because she's kooky. And the way she endears herself to the student body is by becoming a cheerleader. And cheering the basketball team in the book Mm -hmm. on to victory. Yes. But there is a moment when (gasps) a player on the other team is injured. (gasps) And she goes to check on him. And she stays with him until the ambulance comes. And now the school hates her. (laughs) Yes. They didn't know what to make of her before. And then when they realized that her cheering could be an asset, they were fine with it. But then she started to cheer for the other team. And then this is the turning point. Okay. But here's where I think the book actually tries to get interesting. Okay. Tries. Emphasis tries. Yes. (laughs) I'm not going to argue that it's a well-written book or that it's particularly good. But much like I think John Green in Paper Towns tried and failed to unpack the notion of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, mm-hmm. I think that, oh my god, we haven't even said who wrote this book, by the way. <laughs> I think that Jerry Spinelli <laughs> is also trying and failing to unpack the notion of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if this is work that men are uniquely incapable of doing. Because yeah. Because in order to unpack the Manic Pixie Dream Girl for real, you have to let her be a person. And none of these authors we've read are capable of letting women be people. But here's what I think is interesting about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl in this text. Leo is really uncomfortable with her being ostracized by the community. Mm -hmm. She's not uncomfortable with being ostracized by the community. And you really get this sense that like... That's what it is to be a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, to take on this role you can't integrate with society. You can't actually have friends. That's not part of the deal. Leo, he can't cope with that. And Mm -hmm. so he basically asks her to conform. Yes. And she does it because she quote unquote loves him. Yes, but it's still not enough, right? Because she can't actually shed the core components of her personality. She can dress normally and have her hair, you know, quote unquote normal, and she can do all those things, but she's still going to act out in adventurous ways because that's ultimately who she is in lieu of having a personality. Mm -hmm. And that actually doesn't get resolved. So Leo can't actually get past the being outrageous stuff. And so when she loses the speech competition, which is an insufferable part of both book and film, Mm -hmm. and she hasn't gained the 
love of the community, which is the whole point for her in conforming, right? But that mm-hmm. doesn't happen. And so she's like, well, screw this. I'd rather be my manic pixie dream girl self. Leo can't cope with it, doesn't ask her to the dance. And Leo is effectively not a character for the rest of the book because he can't actually overcome his discomfort, right? And so instead what we get is him narrating what happened at a dance that he didn't have the gumption to go to because yes. he couldn't handle the fact that she is herself. Like the extent to which this is a book about Leo being a just a garbage human being. Oh, he's the worst. I find fascinating because I don't think Jerry Spinelli knows that Leo is a garbage human being. (laughs) And that's interesting to me. There's so much to unpack about how Leo isn't a character, how the book and to a lesser extent the film don't give in to the tropes of a YA romance and mm-hmm. treat it like, oh my gosh, this is revolutionary. And part of you is like, yeah, but there was never a romance there to begin with. Mm-hmm. But then also the lack of self-realization. And you can't help but wonder, is this Leo or is this Spinelli? And one thing yes. we should acknowledge is that Obviously, this is a first-person narration from Leo, and there is a sequel to this book that is written from Stargirl's perspective, which we have not read. So we can't comment on whether the Manic Pixie Dream Girl-ness of it all gets unpacked further in that sequel. But mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is that I'm shocked that anyone really likes this book, but apparently it's a classic and it won a bunch of awards. Yeah, this is baffling to me. So the other thing that the book ends with is a very sort of Stephen King-esque, like, (laughs) and that's what it was like to be young in Mika, Arizona. Yeah, it's very Stand By Me. 15 years later, I'm reflecting back on my experiences and how, oh, actually, we were wrong about Stargirl all along. She really did change the world. And this is the part that I find just deeply disturbing about the book, is that ultimately... Stargirl's fate is to continue leaving random gifts and randomly influencing Leo's life forever. Mm -hmm. So not only does she not have a narrative in this book, and not only does she not have her own interior life here, but she never gets that. She's always merely the foil to Leo. And that's one of the reasons why I think the book is doing something interesting and failing at it, because I'm not sure any of this is intentional on Spinelli's part. But like, There's an element of tragedy to Leo's character that he never actually allows Stargirl to be a full human being. And, you know, he's all about like, oh, well, she taught me how to be unique and how to be an individual. There's Mm -hmm. absolutely no evidence that he has accomplished that at all. No, he only realizes that because of the way other people have ultimately reacted in the years following her disappearance, where, oh, we have won awards, and we have done great things, and we've instituted mantras based on what Stargirl said back in the day. But there's no indication that he himself has changed. And he's basically just left lost wondering if he'll ever meet or see her again. And you're just like, that's sad. That's kind of pathetic. And meanwhile, we get all this narrative about all the good that Stargirl has done for these people who were horrible to her, mm-hmm. who would have destroyed her given half a chance. We're, we're told what an important figure she has been in their lives, but she is nowhere to be found, right? And it's just fascinating. Like, there's this line in the film version where it's like, did she ever really exist? And that, I mean, that's a great question. Did she ever really exist? Did y'all just have a fever dream about this young woman? Like, 
the idea that this book is so lauded is baffling to me because there's nothing in Stargirl's character that actually celebrates. I mean, Stargirl as an individual celebrates being unique, different, mm -hmm. special, but she's destroyed for it and run out of town. And Leo learns nothing and is too garbage to even stand by her side while it's all going down. It's like amazing. <laughs> yeah. And when, when you look at people who hold this up as a classic of YA lit or who say, oh, this is one of my favorite books. And this is me being possibly mean to these individuals. I feel like they have really missed or misread yes. the intent, not the intention, because I do think that's what Spinelli intends for people to take away from this. It's like, oh, Leo learned a lesson. Everyone at the school learned a lesson, but they learned it too late. Like they, they had this opportunity to enrich their lives via Stargirl, but they missed out and they only realized what they had after the fact. I get that that's the intention. The book is not doing that. No. And yet, I think that's what everyone takes away. Oh, that's why this is a classic because it's a celebration of nonconformity, but it isn't. It's about horrible garbage people doing bad things to a person who's not real, who maybe is a fever dream, and then apparently learning lessons, but also not really. Yeah, all of that. Yes, everything that you're saying. And that to me is both what's frustrating and fascinating about the book. I was excited, basically from the moment Leo demands her conformity. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. okay. We it's haven't so seen aggressive, right? this before. It's so aggressive. <laughs> yes, you are the problem. You are the root of your unhappiness. Fix it for my mm -hmm. benefit. It's uncomfortable to me. Meanwhile, yes. Stargirl's like, I wasn't unhappy. Like, I'm okay with it. If people don't like me, it's kind of fine. But she also never has that agency, right? Like, she doesn't no. say that until after she switches back to Stargirl. And yes. then he mistakenly calls her Susan and they realize that they've broken up. Which, by the way, they kind of break up, but they also don't. They just kind of drift away from each other. And he lets it happen. And she, for his benefit, is like, well, I guess I'll just go prove myself at this dance. Yes. It's... <laughs> Part of the reason they don't break up is because he doesn't actually have the balls to he break up with her yeah. <laughs> right and so she kind of has this last hurrah and then her mom moves them out of town parents move them out of town they both have dead parents in the film but i don't think do either of them have dead parents in the book no yeah i didn't think so because it's the uncle who gives him the tie in the book right yes yeah I have a lot of thoughts about the changes that get made to the movie. And some of them are very obvious, I think, for their purposes of making a mass marketed film. Mm -hmm. But some of them I'm just baffled by. Well, let's talk about that next. And I, the only thing I want to say as we leave the book is that I think there could have been something really interesting in the desire to actually show what I think I described this to you as like what, what the cost is of being the manic pixie dream girl. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense that these characters are always the most popular girls in the room, right? Because that's not actually what public school is like. And so from that perspective, I was interested to see and, and Leo's abject failure as a human being to care for her if she can't conform to the norms of the community. Like mm -hmm. all of that could have been really interesting. But I don't think Spinelli knows what his own book is about. Yeah, I'm I'm actually inclined to agree with that wholeheartedly, if only because I think had we had a different protagonist and not a love story, I think this could have worked so much stronger. Because mm -hmm. the parts that I was most taken with is how 
flippant the high school body is towards her. So they're mm-hmm. put off by Stargirl because they don't know what to make of her. And then they find a way to use her to their own advantage until she is no longer useful. And then they mm-hmm. dispose of her. And it's very cruel, but it's also so very cavalier. Yeah, like <laughs> they don't really have a reason for doing anything. It's just... Because they do. Because teenagers can be cruel like that. And I thought that was quietly compelling in its mean-spiritedness. But because we're stuck with Leo loving this girl and wanting her to change. Like, we have to go through all of that garbagey stuff. Mm -hmm. As opposed to actually addressing what is that cost of being a manic pixie dream girl. Mm -hmm. That story is happening, but we can't get to it because Leo doesn't have the insight into himself. And is a garbage character. Totally agree. Okay, let's talk about the movie. Okay. It also sucks. That was the first time I saw her. But before we talk about her, I have to tell you something about me. When I was nine, we moved to Micah, Arizona. As the new kid, I became the center of attention real fast. And not in a good way. It was then that I realized I was going to need to disappear. No one would see me. No one would hear me. I was going to have to be just like everybody else. And then, one day... When some loud ragger tries to put me down... What's her name anyway? Stargirl. My name is Stargirl. So be true to your school You should talk to her. She likes you. She doesn't. like Stargirl. I don't really know her. But maybe if you did, you might. Won't you let me walk you home from school? Mom, were you ever afraid of what people thought of you? Figuring out who we are is the one thing no one else can do for us. Won't you let me meet you at the pool? Did you want to ask me something? If it's over, let me know. Sometimes I'm quiet, but I'm just thinking. Scream, Leo. Why would I do that? Don't you want the universe to hear you? Since she got here, things have been different. Some people are just like that. Being with you is the most anyone has ever looked at me in my entire life. There's just something about her. She's not like anyone else. (laughs) Okay, so the film is 20 years later. So it came out in 2020 on Disney+. Plus. It is directed by Julia Hart, who, if folks were interested in the visual style of the film, and in particular the way that the desert is shot, I would Mm. encourage you to check out a better film of hers called Fast Color, which is about black superheroes. Oh, cool. It's actually one of the reasons I was really excited to watch the film is because I thought, well, maybe the visuals can rescue this horrible story. And the sad fact is, is that they can only do so much. They can only do so much. The desert scenes are incredibly beautiful, though. Yes, absolutely. To me, it's mm-hmm. a, that is the best part of the film and everything else is not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Julia Hart also co-wrote this script with Kristen Hahn and uh, Julia's regular writing partner, Jordan Horowitz. And the movie stars, as we mentioned, America's Got Talent finalist or contestant. I couldn't be bothered to look it up. Grace Vanderwall. 
can we talk about how much she is a low rent Julia Stiles in this movie? <laughs> I think it's the styling, unfortunately, right? She has the same kind of face. Yeah, she has very much the same kind of face. And there's just one scene where she's like looking up from the from where she's cheering at the bleachers. And I was like, wow, I see who mm -hmm. they wanted you to be in this movie. Go on. Yeah, yeah. I will have lots more to say about her. <laughs> and then we have Graham Vercher as Leo. We have Giancarlo Esposito as Archie, who is Leo's mentor. And I feel bad because this is the kind of role that Esposito could bone in in his sleep. And he's such a better actor than what this movie yeah. allows him to do. To the point where I was just like, get out of here. Save yourself. Yes. Yes. Uh, same goes for Darby Stanchfield. I know her from Scandal, the Shonda Rhimes show. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I could go through some of these other kids who are cast in this film, but they don't matter because no, they, they really are don't. just window dressing supporting characters. So that's what I have. <laughs> Did you know that there was um, there was a version of this film in that was going to be made in 2015? I'm just seeing that now. Yes, with Catherine Hardwick, who, of course, directed Twilight. Yeah, and it would have had Joey King and Charlie Plummer. Oh my god, of course it would have. <laughs> 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 to both of those actors. Yeah, Hilarious. I, know. I, I can absolutely see it. Yeah, I don't think it's a better movie. Anyway. No. Here's the thing. I don't think there's a good version of this because the source material is so flawed. Mm-hmm. You either have to make Leo radically different, which you're probably not going to do. There's no way to depict Stargirl as nonconformist, I'm using air quotes, as she is in the book, because it will not translate to the screen. So like, you're not going to put a teen girl in 1920s flapper dress in a regular high school. It just mm -hmm. will not play on screen. Mm -hmm. So as a result, what we end up with is a film that really distills like, this isn't just sanding off the edges. This is taking maybe the only interesting things from the book and distilling them. So my biggest question, sorry, I'm dominating this conversation right now. <laughs> my biggest question was, how are they going to do this dance, the prom at the mm. end? Because in the book, Stargirl shows up and she leads them in a Congo line that, that leaves the school and is gone for like hours and it changes everyone's perspective like they've almost had a weird epiphany like a group epiphany and then mm -hmm. she comes back gets slapped by the book's antagonist hillary and then mm -hmm. she leaves and is never seen again mm -hmm. and i i knew they weren't going to do that for the movie but i wondered what they were going to do instead and brenna what <laughs> is that oh joe you're just what i needed <laughs> She orchestrates it so that Leo will have to sing You're Just What I Needed mm -hmm. at the dance. And so he does. And while he's singing it, he realizes, oh, these lyrics are true. You are just what I need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so stupid. And then they all run outside and then it starts snowing and then they all run back inside. Did I, yeah. did I summarize that okay? <laughs> Yeah, there, there's also a part where Stargirl apologizes to oh, right. Hillary, who is not a character. No. Because in the book, she's kind of the lead mean girl, but also not really. She just, she doesn't ever believe Stargirl's manic pixie dream girl. She thinks she's a weirdo. So she kind yes. of orchestrates a campaign to ostracize her. Yes. And in the film, 
she's just kind of there. And at one point she pops up on Hot Seat, which is the TV show slash cable access garbage thing that Leo runs with his friend Kevin. Mm-hmm. And she accuses Stargirl of rubbing a family tragedy <laughs> involving Hillary's younger brother who was in a biking accident and Stargirl's attempt at kindness and bringing the bike back has been salt in the wound and she just says like you're a garbage person for doing this and then Stargirl apologizes at the dance for bringing a bike to a stranger's home she apologizes it's an amazing stakes raise from the book because in the book the same thing happens the the bike thing happens in the Mm -hmm. book but but not to hillary but not to Hillary. And what happens is Leo kind of gently says, like, do you ever think about the larger consequences? Like, what if they didn't want that bike back? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it had bad memories or whatever. And Stargirl's like, well, I think the larger act of kindness is more important. Right. They basically have like a two sentence exchange about this, mm-hmm. which the film blows up into evidence that Stargirl is actually secretly a bad person. It's very strange. She gets treated as though she's some kind of sociopath. Like, she's delivering (laughs) these mean-spirited gifts to people around (laughs) town. She has a nefarious agenda. (laughs) It's very strange. And I'm not sure what the film thinks the payoff is, except I guess then it, it gets to have a villain in the film but not really, right? Because Stargirl apologizes to this quote-unquote villain, thereby acknowledging that her acts of kindness were not acceptable, that she is the villain in Hillary's life. But it comes out of nowhere. It doesn't feel satisfactory. It feels no. half-baked because Hillary's not a real character. It's another well, example of, like, why? And it's a desire to create conflict without ever having to make Leo the bad guy, right? So one of the disappointments of the film adaptation, and I get why we don't Mm -hmm. have to talk about the role of the young and uh, inoffensively handsome man in these movies, but like Leo never makes any demands of Stargirl Mm -hmm. in the film. So there's no sort of what if you conformed, why are you doing this? to me like none of that stuff that makes leo half interesting for half a second in the book Mm -hmm. makes it into the film and so there's actually no real conflict like people get mad that she cheers for the wrong player but the film isn't even sure who's the villain in that scenario because they have this showdown conversation about it and stargirl is like he's okay by the way like thanks for asking if the guy who got hurt today is okay Mm -hmm. and so you're like oh yeah leo should have asked that that leo's bad and then leo's like people need you to support their school you're like oh i don't care about that at all but you people sure do so (laughs) well particularly because they really get rid of the ostracization part in the film so we never see star girl on the outs with people never we see maybe a gentle breeze of coolness towards her after she rides off in the ambulance but it's really mostly leo but you're right even that they don't make leo enough of a bad guy they don't make the other kids bad enough like there's a moment where leo and stargirl break up in the film but you don't even know what's happened because they've just always been in love and then all of a sudden they're just not There's no conflict because there's no characters, because there's no antagonist, but also things are happening, but also I'm on my phone because I'm so bored. Yep. (laughs) 
I'm so dismissive of this film because at every point I was just like, well, you've taken the least interesting way of doing this. I don't have investment in any of these people because they really truly are not characters. But also there is no conflict. Like, I think I was midway through the film just being like, what is the point of this movie? Because I didn't understand why I was supposed to care about anything because there were no stakes. No, the relationships aren't built either. So you simultaneously have a movie with like very little plot, no stakes, and no relationships. Like the teacher, for example, and this isn't well done in the book either. What's his name? Mr. Robineau? Mr. Robineau, yeah. In the book, like all of a sudden, he becomes this important mentor figure and you're like, wow, you didn't build to this at all, but suddenly Mm -hmm. he's there. But in the film, it's even more confusing. It's like, why do you even have a name? Like, (laughs) Yeah, like, why are you here? Why are you here? It's like Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, I was in the book. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. It's true. It's, It's the same thing with this artificial conflation of oh well we can't let leo just be a person who doesn't really have a personality and wants to fit in so we have to give him a dead dad and a tragic backstory and then star girl also has a dead dad it's just like well why did we do this yeah like the film wants to treat leo's unwillingness to let star girl be herself because he's so afraid that he got punched once. And obviously I'm not condoning violence and bullying, but particularly the way the film uses it is it suggests, well, he's been traumatized his whole life and he's wrecked as a person. And that's part of the reason why he's so garbage. And Stargirl brings him out of that. She clears the trauma by making him sing publicly at the end of this film. And it is so unearned and so so poorly created. I was just like, you're actually making fun of the thing that you think is the emotional grounding for this character. It's flippant. It's totally flippant. Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand any of the choices that are made here. You know, we were talking before the show. Joe was like, I actively hated the book and I just found the film boring. Mm -hmm. And I think for me... At least the book is trying to do something, even if I'm not sure Spinelli is sure of what he's trying to do. But there are glimmers in the book of a more interesting conversation. The film is completely glimmer free. Yeah. And and honestly, when you challenged me on that, I realized that you are right. The book is at least trying. The film honestly feels like a music video for Grace Vanderwall to the point where her Be True to Your School cheerleading <laughs> sequence is literally a music video. Or yeah. might as well be. Yeah. The way that Julia Hart shoots it is a music video where Grace... Oh my god, I can't ever even remember her name. Grace Vanderwall is singing directly to the camera. And it's so jarring. And like, why are we doing this right now? It feels like the movie is there as a Disney Plus IP Mm -hmm. for a rising star in the way that we're like, oh, she has singing talent. Let's cast her in a film and make her a star. Which is fine. Whatever. That's their prerogative. The sequel's coming out. It's called Hollywood Star Girl. Brenna, go to your corner. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> and the best part is they're like recasting half the characters. <laughs> oh, I could not care less. And no, I don't want to know anything about it. This is an after situation. The minute we stop recording, I don't want to talk about this ever again. For me, the book was so Judd frustrating. Hirsch is in it. Sorry. Get. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> The reason I found the book so offensive is because it is so 
obvious to the point where I actually, I think I, I texted you and said, is this middle grade fiction? Yeah. Because what Spinelli is trying to do is so on the sleeve obvious. Yeah. I knew what he was doing. It was clear from page one. And then I had to read 200 more pages and there is no payup. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it from the beginning. And then to find out that this is such a highly lauded, celebrated book, I just felt like I was missing something. Can I read you part of the Variety review from the film? Yes. It's a description of Graham Verscher. Mm -hmm. And it's so good because I think that the person writing it thinks it's a compliment. Oh gosh, okay. <laughs> okay. Verscher is a genuinely sweet cross between Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Sarah. Oh no. <laughs> sharing the physicality and vocal tonalities of each. <laughs> wow, that is like a backhanded compliment. Eh? <laughs> Oh, I'm dying. Anyway, this person also praises the chemistry between the two of them, so evidently was watching an entirely different film. Oh, boy. Chased romance called, and they want their two leads back. Yeah, and it is. I mean, that's part of it, right? If we think about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl mystique, it fits right into the most important parts of that narrative, which are, at least in part, a certain level of chastity. Mm-hmm. And I think it all comes back to the idea that, like, there's this dichotomy in depictions of women, right? You're either virginal or you're fallen. And mm -hmm. a manic pixie dream girl, at least initially, has to kind of fit into that virginal yes, absolutely. role, right? She's almost like childlike. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly because it's always about the innocence and the teaching you to love again and the blah, 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 blah. We all saw Garden State. Why are we still doing this? <laughs> but Brenna, let me take you out to the desert so that we can meditate. <laughs> I just think it's interesting to me that that chastity is such a critical part of the relationship here because in many ways, I'm going back to the book now, that's mm -hmm. what allows it to be the relationship Leo never gets over, right? right. Which is ultimately what we find out, that he's going to spend the next 15 years awaiting oh small gosh. gifts from her and not living his life. Yeah, reading the personal ads of various newspapers, looking for signs. Yeah. Also, that's weird, right? Like collecting information weird. about people who live in your town is mm -hmm. weird. That's not Manic Pixie Dream Girl. That's like, what? Even the singing happy birthday without people's consent feels super intrusive and just yeah. like, no. And it's supposed to be charming and a little weird but to me i was just mostly like oh no this is mm -mm, no definitely something that plays better in 2000 than in 2021 yeah there were a lot of things where i i did think okay the film has to acknowledge that this is too unusual and it will yep. not fly yep do you want to play some ya bingo on this yeah let's play some ya bingo bingo not a good bingo so before we get going, I should acknowledge that we need to pay attention to diagonal lines because as we were cued by listener Rise Indigo, we actually did have a bingo on Vampire Diaries. I just wasn't looking at the diagonal lines. <laughs> so that we're great at this is what I'm saying. Very much like something we would do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So with that said, what do you have for Stargirl? Uh, manic pixie dream person. No. 
get out of town. <laughs> Inclusion flip, which we haven't even talked about, but there is the most cynical diversity casting ever in this film, which is what I call it. They keep the main leads white as white as white and mm -hmm. scatter some people of color around the edge and then offer them nothing to do. Yeah, it's getting to the point where I'm so frustrated with this recent, I think, tendency. We might have to have a mini-sode in the future about mm. it because, you know, we, we put this on here, I think, in hopes of something like a Justice Smith from All the Bright Places, right? Where mm -hmm. you change your lead to be more inclusive. And that's why we put it on the bingo board. And increasingly, I feel like when it gets selected, it's like a mockery yep. because these studios are just like, well, we got to shoehorn it in here somewhere. They're not characters. Don't worry. We'll give them a line or two <laughs> so that they can get their, their SAG card. But these are not people. These are not characters. No, I totally agree. Um, hollow friendships and romances? Oh, just a few? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to give inauthentic voice to the book. There's absolutely no change in voice between Leo at 16, 15, mm -hmm. and Leo at 30. Like, no choice, no change at all. It's the mm -hmm. same voice. So I found that inauthentic. I guess we have to give it to musicality, although, oh my god, was I ever disappointed. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But again, you missed that original number. <laughs> <laughs> it just starts singing to him in the desert and you're like wait why is this here is this just to give her another opportunity to sing answer yes and the movie was already 107 minutes long nobody needed an additional musical number after the credits this movie is 42 minutes long and then an hour of filler <laughs> yeah that's true i was very confused i was like 42 minutes what version did i watch <laughs> um there's a road trip right to phoenix there is, yes, yeah. Um, I think that's everything. Okay. You can test me on a couple of these. Okay. So I'm going to put in for a queer secondary character, because even though Tess is not a character, and the Cheska Brown's Tess is there, and of course we see that she is dancing with her girlfriend at prom. Oh, right. That's nice. Put it in, but don't have any lines or plot around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Good. she's there to Good. operate a camera on the set of Hot Take or Hot right. Seat or right. Hot Cheeto. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put in stunt casting because the only reason that Grace got cast in this movie is because she was on America's Got Talent. Oh, okay. I'm also going to say that there is a Chosen One narrative here. This is one you can challenge me on. Hmm. I definitely feel like in addition to being a manic pixie dream girl, Stargirl is there to help educate everyone at this high school about the values of being different. And her narrative is such that only she could shake them out of their stupor. And 15 years later, they realize. I'll allow it. <laughs> Good. Okay. <sighs> I feel like there is a weird magical supernatural element specifically around what she does at prom with the congo line oh yeah and her speech of ian in the book mm -hmm. yeah her ability to just magically pull words out and then win speaking engagements yeah that would annoy me if i was kevin i do feel like the day that she takes leo out to the desert and then they have their kind of meditative thing is oh, the equivalent of a perfect date yeah uh, we do have two dead bodies, technically, in our dead parental figures. I realize we took a dead parent off the board, and 
I kind of miss it for Dang reasons it. like this. Yeah, for reasons like this. Agreed. And then the final one, which I think is a bit of a stretch, you can challenge me on this one, is Forever Young. Because when Leo and everyone are graduating at the end of the film, they are all clearly the exact same age. And it's supposed to be years <laughs> later. And it's like they put a blazer on one of them. <laughs> But I recognize that's not how we typically use I was going to say, that is not the purpose of that square, so I'm going to disallow it. Okay. Yeah. That is fair. Fair, Mm -hmm. fair. I'm looking at the diagonal lines and the perpendicular lines and the vertical lines, and unfortunately, we do not have a bingo. It would have been weird if this film had given us a bingo. Oh, basically, what we needed was house porn. That would have done it for us. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, you know what? I'm ready to put Stargirl in the rearview mirror, Brenna. So I am sorry. Let's uh, wrap this up and talk about where we're going next. Okay, so our next full-length book in two weeks' time, and mm-hmm. it's a doozy, so get started now if you're reading and watching along. But we're going to do Knots and Crosses by Marjorie Blackman and the six-part BBC series. And we're going to try to watch the whole thing. And yes. the book is long. So hop in it with is. us. will be happy to know that knots and crosses is available for free on cbc gem yes yeah and next week for our mini-sode we're gonna watch a recent netflix movie and i don't know this could be good this could be bad but because we were talking about music and how much you wished you had gotten more of that from star girl i love a musical yeah so we're gonna try a week away which is about a bad boy who gets sent to a, I believe it's a a Christian camp, and he finds love and he sings a bunch of songs. I'm actually kind of excited. (laughs) It could be really terrible. It probably is really terrible, but it also maybe could be fun. I'm thinking, when was the last time we did a proper musical? And I believe it was Julie and the Phantoms. Yeah, I think it was. I talked about Jingle Jangle at Christmas, but you didn't watch that one. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is true. And eagle-eyed viewers will know that if you can survive until May, you'll get the return of High School Musical, the High School Musical thing, that show that you like, Brenna. It's coming back High School Musical, two. the musical, the series. Oh my god, Joe, I have to tell you, at some point we've got to talk about this whole driver's license thing, which I only just figured out was a tie-in to the world of High School Musical, the musical, the show. I don't know what any of that was. That driver's license song that everybody loves is actually, it's written by one of the main characters on High School Musical, the musical, the show. And it's about another character on High School Musical, the musical, the show, and how he cheated on her with What's-Her-Face, the one with no personality who was on Girl Meets World and in that movie we watched about dancing. Sabrina Carpenter? Yes. Okay, that was a lot to digest right at the end of the show. So yes, we'll unpack that potentially at a later date, maybe next week. But I can go and re-listen to Driver's License because it's been a while. There's a video on TikTok where a 30-year-old man explains all this to you. It's really helpful. I'll send it to you. Um, yeah, maybe don't. <laughs> if you have thoughts about Driver's License or Stargirl. No. <laughs> Stop this right now. I, I will not. I don't want email about Stargirl, but if you have email about driver's license, you can send it to hkhspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at hkhspod and the hashtag hkhspod. Joe, if they want to find you to specifically tell you what they loved about Stargirl. Oh my goodness. Yes. Talk to me about the costuming in Stargirl. I'm at B still on my remote and that's the letter B. 
I genuinely, if we have any listeners for whom this is an important text, A, I'm sorry, and B, why? Please let us know. I'm at yes. Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Ooh, actually, I, I do have a legitimate request. I mean, not Ooh. that that is an illegitimate request, but I want to know <laughs> if people have read the sequel. If oh, yeah. they feel like it rescues this narrative or introduces like additional complications. Because I, I will not read it, but I am curious <laughs> because it's written from her perspective. I think the, the emphaticness with which you said that. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. It's fun to be back. Until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye.